0: Um, Here's what I'd like us to do. I'm going to shorten things up a little bit. And um, I'm going to read Luke's version of the Christmas story. Could you all stand? Luke 2, 1 through 19. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing All right, anybody know what this is a picture of? Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's from my phone. We went to Israel, our entire family, uh, about five years ago, six years ago. And this is in Palestinian territory. And we were on the sixth floor of one of these cement buildings. This is off of our back porch Uh, This is in Beit Sahor, but over the hill is Bethlehem. And, now we don't know exactly where the shepherds were, but um, this may have been where the shepherds were. Therefore, these skies would have one time, 2,000 years ago, been filled with a multitude of angels announcing the birth of Jesus. It really is kind of surreal to walk on land where you know uh, Jesus was born, angels appeared. Um, I guess you could call it holy land, um, holy ground, but really anywhere uh, God's people meet. You can even meet in a cafeteria in the middle of a cornfield. And he promises to be with us. So this is holy ground too. But um, that would have been right outside of Bethlehem where the shepherds were. Now, here's what I want to do in the few minutes that we have remaining. I want to focus on three words in this story. The word shepherds, the word sign, and the word Savior as we look at this story again. Let's, uh, let's first of all uh, look at the shepherds. Here's a question. Of all the people that God could have sent an army of angels to, to announce the birth of his son. Why shepherds? Why shepherds? Especially when you consider the fact that shepherds were looked at as lower class. They were looked at as dirty, uneducated, lower class people. Why would God send the angelic choir, to them. Well, I think when you read the rest of Luke's gospel, when you read the rest of Luke's gospel, um, you discover that there's two kinds of people, two main groups of people. There's the insiders and the outsiders. The insiders, the religious, arrogant insiders were typified by the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the religious leaders. They were too good to really need a Savior. They were religious, but they were too good, and they kind of looked down on everybody else because they were so righteous. And then there were the outsiders. The humble, irreligious outsiders typified by Many times tax collectors, prostitutes, and shepherds. I believe God is announcing right from the beginning that Christ has come. He's come for everybody. But those who will respond to him most are the outsiders. And the shepherds represent the outsiders to whom Jesus would be ministering uh, most of his ministry, you know, um, when you read the rest of Luke's gospel, you see example after example of the insiders rejecting Jesus, but the outsiders coming to believe in Jesus. I think of a prostitute, a publican, and a prodigal. All right. First of all, a, a, a prostitute in in Luke chapter 7, there's a Pharisee, a religious guy, he's having a, a dinner party for Jesus. And uh, they're sitting at the table. I'm sure it was a dignified event. But this, uh, this Pharisee didn't treat Jesus with the normal uh, kindness you would treat any guest. Normally you would wash your guest's feet. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He just, come on in, let's sit down, let's talk theology. And as they're having this discussion In walks a prostitute. And she starts doing something really embarrassing. She kneels at his feet and starts crying tears on his dirty feet and washing his feet with her hair. And the Pharisee, he's he's rather disgusted, not only with her, but with Jesus for putting up with her, for letting a sinner touch him. In fact, he thinks this, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner, implying I'm not a sinner. So there you have it, the the insider, religious, self-righteous person judging Jesus and this prostitute. But you know what Jesus does? He defends her and he disses the Pharisee. He tells a story and basically he says, you don't get it. The reason she's weeping and washing my feet is she's been forgiven a multitude of sins. This is an act of worship and you're mocking her. You don't understand what it is to be forgiven. So here's here's an example of Jesus coming for the outsider, the repentant, irreligious outsider and dissing the arrogant insider. So that's the, that's the prostitute. Let me tell you another one, the story of the publican. Now, that's another name. That's a King James name for a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated. You know why? They collected taxes. Uh, but they, turn, they were Jews who collected money from their own people, and they usually uh, collected a little more for themselves. So they were the most despised of Jews. So Jesus tells a parable of a tax collector and a Pharisee, a religious person, who go to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee, he walks right into the temple, and he goes right down front, and he looks up to heaven, and he goes, God, I want to thank you for me. Because I'm not like these other people, these these, these dirty, disgusting tax collectors and prostitutes. And you know, on top of that, I'm very religious. I tithe. It's 10%, you know. And I fast. In fact, I'm in the middle of a fast right now. And uh, I, you know, I'm just, you're, you're fortunate to have me, God. All right? Tell them we said hi. Okay. Hi, Grandma. <laughs> it's that Grandma's phone? Oh, Grandma. Okay. All right. So, so the Pharisee, he's just bragging to God about how wonderful He is, and then in the back of the, fo- uh, back of the phone, back of the, the temple <laughs> in comes a publican, a, uh, a tax collector. And you know what he does? He can't even look up to heaven, and here's his prayer: "Be merciful to me, a sinner." And Jesus says, as he tells this story, he, he has a, a shocking conclusion. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, the publican went down to his house justified, meaning right with God, forgiven and right with God, rather than the other. And everybody gasped. Because the outsider was now the insider, and the insider was the outsider. I remember telling this uh, parable This is long ago to a youth group of kids up in Wisconsin. They weren't the sharpest kids, okay? So at the end, I said, now let's make sure we get this straight. Who went to heaven and who went to hell? And nobody answered. One kid at the end raised his hand. I go, who went to heaven? He said, the Republican? (laughs) So you can supply your own little joke right there, Okay. Um, One more, so we see a prostitute, we see a publican, we see a prodigal. We actually see two prodigals, but in the story of the prodigal son, there's two sons. The younger one tells his dad, I wish you were dead, basically. In fact, I want my share of the inheritance. And he takes it and he goes off and he squanders it in a sinful lifestyle and he comes back covered in pig grime, but he's repentant. And his father sees him, and rather than spitting on the ground, his father, who represents who? God. His father represents God. Runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, puts a robe on him, and has a big party. But his older brother... He will have none of it. He doesn't want to go in the party. He is uh, mad at his father for even allowing this son to return. Now, the interesting thing is, Jesus told this parable for a certain reason, and we're told why. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So, he told them this parable. You see, in the parable, God is the father who receives sinners. The younger son are the outsiders who are repentant and they're received. And the Pharisees, the arrogant religious people, they're the older brother. You see... Jesus came for everybody, but there are some people who are too arrogant to need him. We're fine just the way we are. We don't need a Savior, thank you very much. But those of you who know you're a sinner, and you know you're not good enough to enter into heaven in your own merit, and you need somebody to save you, he came for you. So, on the day of his birth, who does God go to? He goes to shepherds. They're part of the outsider class. Now, let me dwell on this word sign for a minute. It says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So, they were looking, there was a sign. They needed to identify the Messiah. What were they to look for? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, the swaddling clothes were not the, the sign. Swaddling clothes are just tightly wrapped clothes. All babies were wrapped in swaddling clothes. It just kept their limbs straight. Okay, It kept them warm. The, the strange thing, the sign, is that there's a baby in a manger. Why is that a strange thing? Well, babies belong in cribs, not in dirty animal feeding troughs. You see, this is a sign of utter poverty. I I tried to think of a modern-day equivalent. Imagine it's the third shift at Taco Bell, okay? And a a station wagon full of angels goes through the drive-thru, and they say, God's son has been born. Here's how you're going to find him. Go to Elburn and you'll find a baby in a onesie in a wheelbarrow in somebody's garage. You go, that's crazy. That's what's going on here. Third shift workers, go Go to Bethlehem. What do you look for? Look for a baby wrapped in Newborn clothes, lying in a manger. Now, why is that a sign? Now, the word sign is interesting because a sign can just be like that sign is an exit sign. It's telling you that that's the exit door. But most of the time in the Bible, signs didn't just say something. The the sign actually signifies the thing it's pointing to. It's kind of like the thing it's pointing to. Um, there, as you're driving down the road, you know there's billboards all over the place. Most of them are just signs. But there's been some pretty creative signs that actually signify the thing they're talking about. I saw one that said, don't tailgate. And it's a car smashing into a truck but the, uh, the, the sign is crumpled, and then the paper's actually sticking off the sign. In other words, it's not just a message, it's the sign itself signifies the point, okay? Um, I saw an Ikea sign. It didn't just say shop at Ikea. It actually had a living room set of furniture stuck to the sign, Okay? I saw one with a pizza picture of a pizza, and then a person on the other side of the sign was eating the pizza, and there was string cheese or cheese uh, stretched out from the pizza into the person's mouth eating the pizza. That's the idea here. The sign is not just announcing something; it's signifying something. It's 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 similar to that which it's pointing to. Okay, what? does a baby in swaddling clothes lying in a manger point to? What's it a picture of? Humility. The humble manger is a sign of a humble Savior who will live a humble life and die a humble, humiliating death. Right. Shepherds, the Savior's here. The Messiah's here. Here's the sign. Go look for him. It's utter poverty. And that picture of poverty represents, signifies the kind of Savior He is. And that leads us to the third word, Savior. Okay. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, city of Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, most people in the first century thought the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, would be like previous saviors. They would be conquering military heroes. Like, for example, Joshua. Joshua took the baton from Moses. Moses led the people out of slavery. Joshua, by the way, Hebrew, Yeshua, transliterated into Greek, Jesus. So Joshua is a picture of Jesus, but in very different ways. You see, Joshua defeated the Canaanites. He killed them. That's how he saved. Jesus came to be killed. Other, other saviors. Gideon. The Israelites are under oppression by the Midianites, and God says, "Gideon, you are going to save Israel. How? Well, you're going to take three hundred guys and defeat 135,000 Midianites. He saved them. uh, He saved the Israelites by killing others. But there is a savior." Who foreshadows Jesus? He's a guy you would never suspect. Samson. God raised up Samson to save Israel. Samson was far from godly, he had a weakness for women, that was his downfall. He was incredibly strong, he kills a lion with his bare hands. He slew 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. He made a donkey out of them with the jawbone of a of a donkey. But when he's caught, he's thoroughly humiliated. They put his eyes out. They chain him to a grinding stone where the rest of his days he has to just push this heavy grinding stone. And then... They want to mock him. They bring him to a big stadium full of Philistines where they mock him. What does he do? He decides, I will die. And he puts his hands in between the pillars that hold up the stadium, and he pushes it over, and it kills him, but it defeats the enemy. But the point is this. He's saved by being willing to die. Jesus comes. He's king. In fact, he's God. He is Christ the Lord. There's only one person they thought of when they heard the term the Lord. Jehovah God. He is Christ God. But he's also a Savior who came to be rejected, Mocked, flogged, humiliated, forced to carry his cross, stripped naked on a hill, nailed to the cross, where he bore the sin of man, and he dies in agony. How does this save anybody? Well, when you understand the enemy is not the Philistines, The enemy is not a military enemy. The enemy is your own sin. And God is a perfect God who demands perfect love and perfect obedience. But we've failed. And he is a perfectly just God who says all sin must be punished. But he's a perfectly loving God who says substitutions will be accepted. But your substitute needs to pay the full price and endure the wrath of God and die. And that's what Jesus did. He was born into a humble life, put into a humble manger, died a humiliating death to pay your price. If you're an outsider, if you admit, I'm an outsider. I'm more in the category of the shepherds and the prostitutes than I am in the category of the Pharisees. Have mercy on me, a sinner. And when you cry out to Him and trust Him, He gives you the gift of forgiveness. The gift of eternal life. That's the message. That's the Gospel. Let me close with, uh, with one more illustration Uh, There was a mayor of New York named LaGuardia. They named LaGuardia Airport after him. And uh, he liked to keep in touch with all of his various departments, and often he would fill in for the department heads or office holders as a way of keeping in in touch with them. One time he chose to preside over night court. It was a cold winter night, and a trembling man was brought before him, charged with stealing a loaf of bread. His family said he was starving. I must punish you, declared LaGuardia. There can be no exceptions to the law. I fine you $10. As he said this, however, LaGuardia was reaching into his own pocket for the money. He tossed the bill into his famous sombrero. Here's $10 to pay your fine. It's a picture of the gospel. I must sentence you. You deserve hell. You deserve death. But I will pay it for you. Right. The rest of the story is this. Furthermore, he declared, I'm going to fine everybody in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a city where a man has to steal bread to eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The defendant walked out with $47.50 that day. All right. So as we close, it's not just a cute story about a cute baby wrapped in a onesie laid in a manger. It's a story about God and his love sending his son to be born into a humble life and die a humble death to pay for your sins so you can spend eternity as kings with the king. All right, let's pray. Lord, what, a, uh, what an incredible story and in the fact that it's true and the fact that you offer salvation to all who will cry out, have mercy on me, a sinner. What a great God you are. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving the comfort of heaven and humbling yourself. You lived a humble life. You died a humble death. And we worship you now because you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.